All right, uh, Maestro, are we ready with the music? We're starting, apparently. Don't forget your lines. Here it comes. On the Empire Podcast, we are live at the London Podcast Festival 2019. Okay, that's enough. That's enough of that. Oh, rentacrown.com, you never let me down. Thank you so much. Hello, Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and I've taken a shitload of Imodium. Oh, yeah. Well, not a shitload. Ideally, if it works, that is. Uh, anyway, welcome to the Empire Podcast, uh, which this week comes to you from our spiritual home, King's Place, London. It's part of the London Podcast Festival. It's very exciting. Uh, 2019, the London Podcast Festival 2019, and I have to say the year in case people who are listening to this show think it's an old episode, okay? (laughs) So they know it's a brand new episode, and they know that I'm not just simply recycling an old script from a previous year. Now, as our Prime Minister, David Cameron, (laughs) said this week, I can't do it alone, which is why we're all confident that the country will will choose to stay in the EU in the upcoming referendum. Now, I don't know much about politics, and I certainly don't know much about referendums, but I can't see anyone being stupid enough to leave the EU. I mean, what would we even call that, that that British exit? Well, what would it be? We'd have to come up with some weird name for it, but obviously that's not going to happen. But I do agree with David Cameron in that I can't do this alone. So, I'm delighted to be joined by three... Ignore the extra chair. Three... (laughs) Colleagues of such lethal cunning tonight. First up is our geek queen, a woman who's a big fan of musical theatre and is particularly looking forward to checking out this new musical, Lin Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, <laughs> when she goes to New York later in the year. Please welcome Helen O'Hara! Yeah. Are you sure you've got the right script? I just... Absolutely. This is a brand new script I wrote this afternoon. I didn't just copy and paste. I just went into my brain, pulled it out, wrote a new script. It just feels like some of your references are just, just a scoot, just a teensy bit out of date. Don't know what you mean, Helen. This is all off the cuff. Uh, next up okay. on the show, will you please welcome our film fact fiend, a young man with hair as big as his future is bright. <laughs> He is, if he could be arsed, one half of the uh, soon-to-be award-winning comedy duo, What a Fucking Idiots. But I've got a sneaking suspicion that he's, got, he's destined for bigger and better things. Who knows, perhaps, on national radio. Will you please welcome Ali Plum! No, Chris. No, no. No, Chris. Ali doesn't work here anymore. Is, is, is Phil there? No, Phil doesn't work here either, Chris. I've got the wrong fucking script. You've got the wrong script. <laughs> Um, um, next, uh, who's next? Next up, James Dyer is here, which is nice, I guess. And last but not least is a woman who is a constant inspiration to me and to everyone at Empire. 
Not least because she took me into a meeting last week and said, I am a constant inspiration to you <laughs> and to everyone at Empire. She is a beacon of hope, not just for us, not just for magazines, but I think the world in general. Will you please welcome the editor-in-chief of Empire, Terry White! I can't believe I used the old script. Unbelievable. <laughs> Hello, everybody. How are you? Yeah, you know, good. You're allowed to say something. This oh, I thought you were talking podcast. to them. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. I've spoken to these guys already. We're all very intimately acquainted. Uh, how are you? We're good, I think. Yes. Okay. We said you would have better small talk. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... I'm kind of furious about this, if I'm honest with you, but that's okay. Ignore the empty chair. Ignore the empty chair, but at the same time, let your eye be drawn towards it. <laughs> Who or what will fill that empty chair later on? Who? Uh, who, <laughs> who? Who the hell is that? Um, <laughs> I'm quick with the like hate crimes against accents. That's not a hate crime. That's my own accent. Unbelievable. Anyway, because this is a live show, uh, we're going to do things a little differently this time. Uh, so we're going to start where we usually end. Hi, see Tarantino. You're not the only one who can do that. Oh, wow. We're going to start with the. What's this called? It's like the golden Revues. Revues? Revues. Reviews. We're going to start with the reviews. Can't read my own typewriting. Uh, and we're going to start with Hustlers, everybody. Hustlers. You could have been watching Hustlers tonight. Instead, you chose to come here. Bad mistake. Uh, Hustlers is, of course, is a film that might, just might, and I'm entirely serious about this, bag J-Lo her first Oscar. For reals, yo. Um... She'd always been real. No, wait, Terry. Terry. Both women. Easy mistakes, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Terry. Tell us, please. Yes. Oh wait, hang on. That's Helen. (laughs) (laughs) Say something in your weird northern brogue. Oh, do my Uh, accent. I won't fire you, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) This is Saturday night. I'm off the clock. Uh, hey, up! Hey, up, lad! Hey, hey, that right hustlers! Yeah, it's amazing! That J-Lo, she goes into strip club, don't she? That is absolutely uncanny. Wow. Where am I from in the north, exactly? The north! <laughs> I'm a leprechaun from the north, apparently. Ah, why not? I might do this for you, the entire show, I really like it. Oh, God, no. I like you more than I usually do when you have that accent. Yeah, but okay, probably stop. less offensive. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Right. Hustlers. 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 Right, so I'm going to start at the beginning, right? This stars Constance Wu, as we know, as Ooh. a relative... <laughs> James is excited already. As a relatively inexperienced stripper called Destiny. That's your first clue. She's a stripper. There is a brilliant bit in this film where they're pretending not to be strippers and she goes, my name's Destiny. I'm like, this is a terrible way to tell people you're not a stripper. Um, She's taken under the wing of um, Ramona, who is the astonishing J-Lo, as we've already established. Everything is amazing. Everything is money until the financial crash. um, And they end up with a more dangerous plan of making money, which involves... um, drugging their clients and maxing out their credit cards. Now, this is from writer-director Lorena Scar... I always say this wrong. Scafaria. Thank you. Um, 
and it has an amazing set of producers, including Anne McKay and Will Ferrell, but I have to be really clear about this. This is a woman's story, and it's a woman's story to tell. It is based on a... I had to give a... permission to watch this movie. Yes. <laughs> permission denied. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's based on a New York Magazine article um, uh, by Jessica Presley a few years ago. Um, it's very much of the same tone, if anybody's read it, and same positioning. <laughs> These women are naturally at the kind of bottom of the pecking order, um, and they really just want a way to make money and to be independent and to pay for their families. And so it's a really straightforward kind of take on capitalism in some respects. There's at one point Ramona says, you know, the whole world's a strip club, basically, but w- which part do you play in it? But it ultimately is so much more than that. So I want to talk about a couple of things. The first thing is the filmmaking, which I think is bold and exciting. It cuts between these amazing kind of sweeping tracking shots, these really fast edits. Mm. Um, but it's really there's something really interesting going on with the female gaze so it is set in a strip club but these bodies that you see they aren't all young and thin and white it doesn't feel sexually gratuitous it's celebratory and fun I've never seen strippers laugh so much in my entire life in (laughs) film all and that's a sentence you didn't expect to hear tonight isn't it I will just clarify. Um, it's playful and it's proud. And it is, you have not seen women who are paid to take their clothes off for money portrayed in, a, in an empowering, and that sounds like a cliche, an empowering and celebratory and beautiful, beautiful way. J-Lo, it's Constance Wu is, is the main character, but J-Lo is the star of this film. The woman is fucking 50 years old. She's incredible. My God, there are a couple of shots which are like artwork. Yeah. Um, (laughs) She carries herself with this beautiful confidence. She's super seductive. But she's also just a really interesting actress. The emotional beat she hits. She actually works from her guts. She's such an instinctive actor. Mm. And this film ultimately, for me, isn't about money. And it's not about this crime. And it's not about this case at the heart of it actually it is a love letter to female friendship and female love and I fell madly in love with this film it's fucking great it's so good it really is. Honestly, it's but so good this yeah. is one of these things and like we talk about a lot people talk about the female gaze the male gaze it's one of these things where when you get asked about it certainly I find it's the only point of reference I always have is well look at Patty Jenkins Thermoscura sequences and then look at Joss Whedon's and that's the male gaze versus the female gaze and that's my best example today whereas now if anyone asks me what the male gaze is I'll say it's everything that's the complete fucking opposite of Hustlers because this is it's so beautifully made and it would have been such a different like Scorsese was talking about this at one point would have been a completely different film and it wouldn't have worked in the same way like it is a film that is about exploitation it doesn't exploit and it's 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 a camera that looks at women it doesn't leer at women and there's nudity in it but it's not sexualized like it's just it's just I mean it's so the nudity is so not Mm. quite nudity but it's it's so cleverly done because it's all about power and it shows that the the agency that these uh, strippers can have when you know in a safe environment and you know mm. things are going their way they can control their environment to an extent they can make a living out of it i mean the the dance that jlo does mm. is one of the hottest things I've ever seen in my life, but it's also all about power and her power over the baying crowds around her. And it's an astonishing piece of filmmaking. It's so impressive. I, don't I just loved that this. Bit. 
I think I... You, honestly, you might have blacked out. I think I passed out yeah. by that point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honest. But, like, I mean, 50, holy I know. Lord. I mean, she's incredible. She's, I mean, I don't look like that in a G-string, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I just, I feel I like... I that fact. I mean, I, can, I feel like, you know, we've had... We've just had down a few, Fridays. We've had a few weeks... <laughs> Bush outside his house. <laughs> oh boy. We've had a few weeks now of like improbably hot 50 somethings yeah. in the movies. Like yeah. we've, you know, obviously a Brad Pitt taking his shirt off again in Once Upon a Time. Keanu Reeves in everything. Keanu Reeves in everything. And and now J Lo as well. And it's, it's I mean, Green. man, the pressure to age well is getting really <laughs> intense. I know it is, Helen. <laughs> I know it is, but I'm meeting the challenge head on. Uh, this is one of those movies where you say to people, Hey, guys, Hustlers is one of the best films of the year. And they go, fuck off. Yeah. It can't be, because it's a movie about strippers who turn to crime starring Jennifer Lopez. But it is. Yeah. And you go into it going, fuck off. It can't be. This is a movie about strippers who turn to crime starring Jennifer Lopez. There's no way it can't be this good. And also, we didn't see it until this week. No. Which is usually not a good sign, people. Oh, didn't you? I saw weeks ago. Blockbuster. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they didn't show it to, uh, you know, the, the normals uh, until this week. They didn't show it to anyone, with the exception of Helen, for some fucking reason, until this week. And that's usually not a good sign, guys. Uh, so we went into it, I think, with some trepidation, and it came out on a high. This movie is as close to the buzz of a kind of great Martin Scorsese film as I've seen in a long, long time. It is absolutely terrific, uh, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Nick DeSemlin dubbed this Strip Fellas. So, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Didn't yeah. think long and hard about that one. <laughs> it's not, not his best work, really, yeah. is it? But it is, it's very hard to come up with a name like, you know, Good Dames. Terry said no. No, no absolutely no. not. Uh, but it is, it's a terrific film, and uh, it, yeah, especially, I, I, you may not think it to look at me, but I don't have a lot of experience of the strip clubs. Uh, I've only been to one strip club in my entire life. Uh, I'm going to take, take a... You know I'm why that is, a, don't you? Because I'm barred, yes, I know. No, no, uh, it's because, of, it's because, because thing. you don't have a, a case to solve. Obviously, if you had a case to solve, <laughs> case to solve you'd have to go to a strip club. I'd have to go to the strip club. So, I'm going to digress really quickly to tell this story because I think you deserve to hear it. Um, so, a few years ago, I was living in L.A. as uh, Empire's West Coast editor, and uh, uh, a whole bunch of people from Empire came out because it was our 20th anniversary magazine, and we were, you know, all doing all sorts of stuff. So, a few people said, let's go to a strip joint. This is uh, Mark Dinney, back at the time when Mark Dinney was the editor of Empire. Mark Dinney was a man who had been known to maybe accidentally stumble into a strip club. <laughs> between the hours of noon and midnight. <laughs> so he went, oh, Hewitt, fella, we'll go to a strip club. It'll be brilliant. Right, that's a brilliant fucking impression of him, by the way. Uh, my wife, my then girlfriend, now wife, was also here as well. She was visiting me in LA. So we all got into my car and drove to this place called Crazy Girls in Los Angeles, okay? And now, you know, I'm, I'm quite... I'm quite repressed, guys. And so I sat there with a face on the entire time. I was just, I was not into it at all. And I was like the worst customer uh, a strip club could ever have because I bought one Sprite. Uh, And I sat in a cubicle and I refused the offer of more drinks. I refused the offer of dances. I just sat there miserably. Fuck off. No, no. I will not have an erection tonight. Thank you very much. No. So I'm sitting here in this cubicle. I look up, and there, of course, is my now wife, then girlfriend, Hap 
happily sitting by the, uh, the, the runway thing, putting dollar bills into people's G-strings. So the, the night comes to an end, uh, or just comes uh, to an end. It's about 2 a.m. and they're only 2 a.m. and they're kicking people out and the lights come on and uh, and one member of the Empire team who shall remain unnamed has had a, a private dance. It's not me. I need to. Not James. <laughs> emphasise enough how much I it's not me. I also was not there. James was five and a half thousand miles away, uh, thanks to a restraining order. <laughs> So this, this lovely young dancer came up to this guy at the end of the night and said, uh, I've got to stand up for this. Can I put this microphone on? Can I get this mic? Hello? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and she says, Don't ever do this. I really like you. Can I take you home for dinner? And I swear to God, she did this. And I know she did this because I'm stone cold fucking sober. <laughs> and I recorded the night in my mind. I took a mental Polaroid of this moment. She said, and by dinner I mean... Vagina. <laughs> Actually happens. Oh god. Let the record show for the podcast that I spread my legs. <laughs> and uh, I've never, you know, you know those moments, you know those things, I've never been more like Martin Freeman in the office in that moment because I was totally wide awake. And she said, by dinner I mean vagina. And I just went... <laughs> Just an imaginary camera right there. Uh, you'd be delighted to know that, or maybe not delighted, you maybe wanted him to go home with her, but he, he declined he her offer. Her. He declined, he said, and he was a good boy and uh, went home, and, uh, and uh, it's all good. And I won't say his name. I want so to, anyway. but I won't. <laughs> so, five stars there for Hustlers. Welcome to the Oh, fuck me. All right. <laughs> Here's a change of pace. Uh, next up, we have. Oh, God, no, we can't. Yeah. Straight to that one. Oh, no, 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 we'll do the other one first. We can't. No, you want to do Forzama? Oh, okay. No, I was kidding. Uh, okay. Next up, we'll do Downton Abbey. Okay. Downton Abbey. Downton. Which, of course, is the uh, big screen continuation of the hit ITV show. There might be a silent S in there, who knows? And uh, this film. <laughs> You may place it S where you like. The Hits TV show. Uh, this is also Happy Hogan's film of the year. Uh, it is Downton Abbey and Jimbo. This is your film of the year. I described this movie a while ago on Twitter as Avengers Endgame for Tories. Uh, so, where does it stand for you? Well, so the thing with Downton Abbey is uh, how to sum up the plot of this film. I suppose if you're a Downton Abbey... Who's a Downton Abbey fan? There we go. For you, the king and queen come to Downton. Really, that's the story of the film. <laughs> for everyone Spoilers. else... For everyone else, the synopsis goes a little bit more like this. Robert Crawley, the seventh Earl of Grantham, oh, receives a letter stating that King George V and Queen Mary will be stopping off at Downton on their way to a ball somewhere else, so he and Lady Cora, the Countess of Grantham, must prepare. Lady Mary, meanwhile, is in cast that her husband Henry Talbot, who is, of course, the grandson of the Earl of Shrewsbury, is off stuck at a motor show in America. Lady Edith, meanwhile, who, lest we forget, is now the Marchioness of Hexham, has serious concerns about her husband Bertie, the seventh Marquess of Hexham, who is scheduled to go on tour with the Prince. Tom Branson, meanwhile, puts his Republican sensibilities aside, and he tries not to do an eye roll at all the royal to do. Skip to the end. Downstairs, however, all is not well. Well, I'm sure you've said that before. <laughs> 
Steady, steady. Because you see, everyone is in a fluster because of the royal visit, and Mrs. Patmore is having a flap over having to cook for the Queen. Not Meanwhile, Daisy, Daisy, the scullery maid who who is engaged to Andy, the footman, uh, is having doubts about her nuptials. And Mr. Barrow, who, having graduated from footman to underbutler, is now struggling with this. being a real butler and seems to have forgotten the fact that he's supposed to be a malignant twat. Now, <laughs> this is a situation that is not improved when Mrs. Hughes, the housekeeper, goes home to find that Lady Mary has asked her husband, Mr. Carson, to come out of retirement and become the butler once again. However, rampant royalist oh, Mr. Molesley is beside himself with excitement. Anna gets embroiled in a to-do with the royal seamstress, while Mr. Spoiler. Banks, the I Earl's valet, wanders around aimlessly, being the very fine chap that he is. But that's not all. It, it really should be all. Mrs. Crawley, now cup. of course Baroness Merton, has noticed that something is amiss with the Dowager Countess, who is terribly cross with Lady Maud Bagshaw due to a long-standing family grievance with her lady's maid, Lucy, played so by sorry. Tuppence Middleton. Da- we only have a fixed And then so the sorry. King and Queen arrive. Oh, boy. Are you done? No, don't ask. Pretty much. What okay. if you don't so, get the answer you want? Three stars in for Downton Abbey. <laughs> To be clear, to be clear, now, I, I think it's important at this moment to just take a moment and say that uh, Helen and I have had a slightly long-standing to-do about a certain film called Molly's Game. Now, have we? The four-star masterpiece that is Molly Game was unjustly given three stars in our publication. Uh, Helen did it, Terry didn't overrule it, we should never speak of it, it again. It was deducted a star now, because of a terrible fucking scene in the newsroom. <laughs> That's why. Don't you fucking start with me. Now, now, Downton Abbey was given three stars. You're damn right. By Helen O'Hara. Hello. Downton Abbey, the film that full, will henceforth be known as... Oh, no! Christ. The three-star film Hooray! that is Downton Abbey. It's a three-star film. It's a so, very three-star film. The problem with this film is, like, if you love Downton Abbey, you will probably enjoy it. This is essentially a Christmas special stretched over two hours. It's all warm and fuzzy, except fucking nothing happens. And given that my synopsis had a whole load of shit in it, literally nothing happens. So the, the thing with Downton that's always been really good for the five people who like it is uh, it's the interplay between the characters. Like, there's all this drama, and, like, Mr. Carson was part of the circus, and Tom was a chauffeur, and he ran off to join the IRA with Lady Sybil, and it's all very exciting. The problem is, none of that happens in this film because they all kind of pull together for the common good and they don't bicker and they don't argue and Barrow somehow has turned into a real good guy. I don't know how that happened. And, and so there's just no excitement and there's one action piece which is literally halfway through the fucking film and yeah. no one speaks of it again. And it's, it's less than 30 seconds long. Like it could not be less action-packed. I don't go to Downton Abbey. <laughs> and that's it. That's true. I mean, okay, I went to a wedding at Highclere Castle and there was more action than yeah. in this film. Um, it, it's like nothing... Ha- genuine plot points turn on how shiny the silver should be and if a dress will arrive from the tailor in time for the genuinely ball. Genuinely true. There is an action yes. sequence about polishing silverware. But you and I, you and I love this yeah, so show. I take credit and for we this. we don't like it either. Yeah, so I made... Does anyone listen to the Pilot TV podcast? Thanks, guys. So I made Terry watch Downton Abbey, and she's gone from mocking me relentlessly to loving the shit out of it. That's because I always felt like I'd be a class traitor (laughs) if I watched Downton Abbey. But I fully embraced it, and we both love it. Neither of us like this film because of exactly that. Like, why would you take something amazing on telly which Mm. has high stakes, it has proper narrative beats, and you put it in a film because everybody keeps saying, oh, they should have just left it on telly. It was dead good on telly. You've just made it more shit and put it on a cinema screen. (laughs) 
There is nothing for the main characters to do. You've got amazing actors, amazing characters. Lady Edith is one of the most brilliantly interesting and textured women on telly, and they've made her into an idiot. Mm. I don't understand it. I'm really upset about it. <laughs> I, I, I just don't know why you would do this. It was all there. All the pieces were there. You well, didn't have to make it so It's boring. a very big cast, and I think they yeah. try and give everyone yeah. something to do, and they try and cram too much into it, and it, it, it doesn't I, It really is work. also, like, the classist thing ever. Like, um, it's but that's so, just down to no, gender, I know, no, I know that there's classism baked into the concept. The whole upstairs-downstairs <laughs> thing is absolutely there. But when you actually bring in the royal family, it, it's, like, magnified tenfold. Yeah. And, and I actually find it a little bit offensive what they do to Tom Carson in this, because... He was an Irish Republican at a time when that... Branson, Branson, Branson. Him. Unbelievable. Branson Carson. It's it's when it, like, this was a time when it actually really meant something. It didn't mean you were a terrorist, it meant you actually had a point of view. And they absolutely take that away from him in a way I find actually disrespectful. I just, just really like, oh, annoyed me. Oh, look at the British name model. He's all like, oh, well, I would never, I would never go against the yes, family. Never go against the family. Let's go my way to help yeah. the British monarchy. I just, yeah. mm, no. Well, but this is going to be awkward because you've been wondering why the chair has been empty. Please welcome the entire cast and crew of the Downton Abbey movie. No, no, wrong script again. Fuck's sake. Uh, anyway, let's bring this review to an end. Three stars for Downton Abbey. And we're going to move on now with a real change of pace. This is an incredibly important and hard-hitting mm. film. Uh, it's a documentary called For Sama, which charts the struggles of a young citizen journalist called Wad to raise her young daughter, Sama, in the midst of the Syrian war and an unrelenting assault on Aleppo and uh, Hell's Bells. This one's pretty hard-hitting. This one is extremely hard-hitting. I feel like there should be a, a content warning. I like so. This is a brilliant film, and and it is you know in terms of just its its power and its impact, it's you know a masterpiece. Uh, in terms of whether you can stand to watch it, it, it should come with a whole heap of trigger warnings and content warnings yeah. because it is unedited. Well, it is edited, but it is raw. Um, you know, footage from the siege of Aleppo that does not hold back, that shows people who have recently died. Um, it shows uh, incredibly upsetting scenes from the hospital where uh, where Wad and her husband uh, Hamza, who's a doctor, and their their baby Sama are basically living during most of the siege. And you see the blood, and you see the the bodies, and you see the human cost of this horrendous horrendous action. Um, and and it is really upsetting there there are scenes in this that uh, there's there's a there's a scene involving a baby that I don't think I breathed for a solid minute and and I was sort of making prayer gestures with my hands even though I'm an atheist I just like it's incredibly powerful and upsetting and and moving and mm. important because it just shows you the human cost of you know what you may have heard about as a political story on the news and you see kind of you know those long distance zoomed in shots of a another dusty city and it doesn't really mean anything particularly and and this is up close and very very personal and it is full of meaning um and and yeah and it's very very you know, intimate in that sense you get to know not only Wad and Hamza and Sama but all their friends around the hospital all these other little kids who are living there in the middle of this battle tiny kids who have literally grown up with bombs falling all around them who just don't react to the noise of explosions anymore they don't cry because why would they that's just what happens um and it's it's yeah, it's really powerful and really really moving stuff. Um, and and yeah, just just be maybe a bit aware of oh yeah how and when you watch it. 
frankly, be ready. I think they made a really smart narrative decision because how do you begin to capture the scale of something like that and to tell it? And there isn't too much because it is a personal story in terms of bigger picture with either Assad or with with Russians or the odd mention. But by making this decision to really focus on arguably the most vulnerable people in society, which are the children, and and that's the kind of thing, whether it's the child growing in her belly who becomes her daughter or the the children being killed to actually make that narrative decision and boil it down to such a small, intimate scale, it's, it's what makes it so powerful yeah. because you really do see the cost of it. And like you, Helen, I, there were bits I really, really struggled to watch, but I think we kind of have a responsibility yeah. to watch it. If she was brave enough to make it, then we should be brave enough yeah. to watch it. I think it's probably the best documentary out this year. It's just remarkable. Yeah. It's one of the most traumatic things I've ever seen. There were genuinely bits I couldn't watch. I just couldn't do it. Could not do it. I had to just stop. Uh, it's just, it was just too much. There's, there's, the, it really is absolutely heartbreaking. It's exactly what you said. It's, like, it's so easy to see these things in news broadcasts and read about them in the newspaper and think you understand what it is. And then to see a kind of an, a street-level view mm. of the carnage and the human cost of this war, uh, it's just it's, it's horrific, absolutely horrific. Yeah, and, and also just like, you know, the... the the, the family themselves are just like you just love them I think as well mm. you know I think it, it, that often happens in documentaries where you get really up close and personal to people um, maybe not every documentary but a lot of them um, but in this case you know th- they are very young they're in their 20s when, or younger even when we first meet uh, Wad uh, but they are idealistic they are passionate they are believers in you know fighting for a better world mm. and they are in this trying to help other people by choice they could have gone they could have escaped much earlier and they were trying to you know help because they believed in it to the extent of staying there as a family and it's just it's an amazing amazing portrait of humanity as well it's a great film it certainly is and also captures the uh, the, the, the spirit that shines through and the sort of you know you and I grew up in, uh, in the troubles mm. not remotely comparable at all but I uh, think you and I are, are very aware of the, the gallows humour that people can mm. can foster to help them get through times like this. And the film is surprisingly full of those moments as well, those lovely little human moments. But it is also filled with horrific imagery that will stay with you. So it is one of those movies that you should absolutely consider before you see it. But at the same time, I feel it's fairly essential. Mm. Um, we gave this four stars, four stars for Four Sama. Right, I'm just going to take another swig from my Liverpool FC flavoured water. Oh, good lord. Oh, I don't want to know. like champions. <laughs> uh, and let's get on to movie news. Let's start... Where do you want to start? Hellspells, you can start. You can oh, guide us. Uh, shall we start with The Stand? Always. I don't know why. I just feel like... Is it because, is it because there's someone that you want to talk about? Someone <laughs> tall and attractive and chiselled from granite? And... Devilish <laughs> and demonic and evil in its purest form. Are you form. talking about James? Yeah, <laughs> that's right here. There's a, there's a run it up the flagpole joke coming, just so you know. Oh, oh, my oh no! Oh, there wasn't. Oh my god. Anyway, so the stand is coming uh, to TV, and uh, it is going to star Alexander Skarsgård as Randall Flagg, who, as we all know, is the sort of demon devil himself right yep. it's basically mm. satan in stephen king's world and uh, and i think that's great casting it's all gonna, also going to have whoopi goldberg as mother abigail mm-hmm. which is i think also really interesting casting because it's mm. almost a throwback to the color purple the end of i feel like it's uh, it's a, it weirdly appropriate and um, they've also got who they've got amber heard as nadine cross which is not who i would have thought of but good i think greg kinnear as glenn bateman 
which feels a bit young for him, but that's okay. Mm. Um, and James Morrison as Stu Redman, which I think is a very good show because I think James, James Morrison should do more things. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, those are the main characters. We've got Odessa Young as Franny and Henry Zaga as Nick. Um, so I'm, do people I'm know what this excited is, for this. Do people know do about people know what the sound, sound is? Okay, yeah, okay. okay. Right, so I should probably maybe make it clear for the people who didn't just go, mm. Um, but it's uh, Stephen King's novel about a plague that sweeps across the world and wipes out, what, 99% of people? A bit mm-hmm. higher than that. The Kills pe- R.E.M. in the miniseries. I was furious. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but it leaves a, a certain number of people alive, and this tiny remnant of humanity are kind of wandering the country, trying to find each other, trying to forge new connections, trying to find a way to survive. Um, but they are gradually drawn to two different people, either Randall Flagg or Mother Abigail. The, the and goodies go to Colorado and the baddies go to Las Vegas, because yeah. of course they do. Yeah. That, I mean, that does make sense, yeah. They, they would go to Nebraska first and then Colorado. Oh, but, sorry, you know. sorry. But yeah, that, that is basically it. So you get these two kind of uh, tribes going to war. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it turned into that, I'm sorry, but that is it. And it's a great, great book. It's incredibly long. You shouldn't do what I did last time I read it, read it and start it on a plane when people might cough near you. <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible thing to have the soundtrack of many people coughing around you as you try to read the stand. Don't do that. Read it on your own and make sure you know everything is kind of ventilated around the sinuses. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good casting. Happy with this casting. It must be now written into the Skarsgård family contracts that they have to play Stephen yeah. King bad guys. I'm I really guess. excited to see Stellan tackle Annie Wilkes. Yeah, yeah, he could pull it off. He really could. And uh, and the other Skarsgård brother, Jeff, um, I think he'll be fantastic in Needful Things when that comes back uh, comes back out again. And also as the cat in Pet Cemetery. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I've said this in the podcast before. I'm really excited about this. My only cause for concern is Josh Boone, the director, who mm. I'm sure is very, very brilliant and talented, but he, you know, he is mired in the whole New Mutants fallout, so his next movie may not come out or may <laughs> come out in a form different from the one he intended, and so I'm slightly concerned about that, but he's a big Stephen King fan, and so I'm hopeful that this 10-part TV series... Why are we talking about a 10-part TV series? Isn't there a pilot podcast? No, I've never <laughs> anyway, uh, that this would be very, very exciting. But uh, yeah, there is, there is some movie news that uh, I think we should talk about as well. Uh, Hayley Atwell mm. yeah. has joined Mission Impossible 7 and Mission Impossible 8. So if you're asking yourself, does Hayley Atwell die in Mission Impossible 7? <laughs> Flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one could kill her. No one could kill her. Uh, the answer would be no. So, yeah. or yes, no. Probably not. I'm confused. It's literally a 50 50 thing. I've confused myself. Uh, anyway, so she's in missions seven and eight. We're happy about this? We're always. Excited? Yeah. Always happy. Yeah. She's the best agent, one. so it makes sense that she'd be in the Mission Impossible <laughs> movie. Also, Hayley Atwell is in episode two of Criminal, which starts on Netflix this Friday, so I very much recommend if you like Hayley Atwell, you watch that because she's great. Fantastic. Is that a cross plug? Yeah, we talked about it on the Pilot TV podcast last night, but uh, I'm just mentioning that. All right, I'm just going to delete the Gillian Anderson Margaret Thatcher story from here. Uh, But yeah, I'm excited about this. Yeah, I think she's going to fit in well. We don't know, I mean, I don't know when this movie's going to start movies are going to start mm. shooting, but you'd imagine imminently if they're Mm. crewing up. I wonder if she's going to be a badden or a gooden. What do we think? A gooden. Oh, <laughs> fisticuffs. Yes. That's exciting. What do we think? Let's take a yes for a good un. Yes. Yes, yes for a bad un. Yes. 
No, because she's Agent Carter and she could <laughs> never be you? bad. How dare you? Wash your mouths out and wash your minds out. Uh, so I think we've exhausted that one uh, clearly. Uh, James Gunn has announced what seems to be the pretty much the entire cast of well every mm. movie, uh, <laughs> yeah. but certainly the Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, the sequel to Suicide Squad, and uh, not so a sequel. N- not a sequel. Not a sequel. Not a sequel, even though it has some of the same people in it. <laughs> a reboot. A requel. A requel. A seaboot. A reboot. A seaboot. Sea biscuit. <laughs> Are we forgetting biscuit. the first one happened? Which what? Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited about this. You know, the more cast members, because initially when James Gunn was doing this, everyone thought, oh, he's just he's just doing this because of the whole Guardians three mm. thing, and then he was Guardians three came back to, into his yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, and suddenly you're thinking, oh, okay, well, why is he's he still, still doing, doing this? It, yeah. And oh, it's because he's assembled the most eclectic, weirdest cast I think I've ever seen. So I'm very, very uh, on board for that. Also, when he announced the cast, which includes the likes of. You know, lots of people from the first film, Jai Courtney, uh, uh, Fiola Davis, Margot Robbie, uh, that other fella, um, uh, Idris Elba's in it, John Taika Waititi's John in it. John Cena. John Cena's in it. Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi's in it. Storm Reed. Storm Reed is in it. I mean, this is an amazing cast, and he said when he announced it on Instagram, don't get too attached. And that's all I ask in my Suicide Squad movie. A healthy body count. <laughs> Is that too much to ask? Like, in The Dirty Dozen, I think this could be the superhero version of The Dirty Dozen. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Dirty Dozen, only one of them made it out, and it was Chuck Bronson. That's a big spoiler, by the way, but... <laughs> it's a true story. Chuck Bronson, Magnificent Seven, Great Escape, Dirty Dozen. Survived two of those. Gets killed in Magnificent Seven, by the way. Oh, my God. I should stop spoiling Charles Bronson movies. Oh, my God. Anyway, someone else talk. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I know there's something you want to talk about. Is there? Yes. Which is it? It involves... Sam Vimes. It does involve Sam Vimes. Thank you so much for bringing it up. Um, yes, what? Chris sent the list of things he wanted to talk about in the news section earlier, and I went, no, you missed some. Um, and one of them was, of course, the new series based on the Watch books in the Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, and the news that they've cast Richard Dormer, formerly of Game of Thrones, as Samuel Vimes, which I think is freaking fantastic casting, mm. um, because he's got the right kind of world-weary toughness I feel like and and it kind of, you kind of feel it if you think back to the remind me of the episode with the where they go north of the wall is it yes. literally north of the wall <laughs> yes the one where they go north of the wall so you remember north of the wall and you remember his character who was Sir Beric Beric Dondarrion the lightning lord yes, yes. with his <laughs> with his flamey sword okay so now imagine that same kind of world weariness without the religious fervor and with, with a, a sort of Clint Eastwood-style s- cigar in his mouth and much less manpower, I think it's going to be great. I'm really excited, and, uh, and I think things are looking up for it. Mm, I'm here for this, very much yeah. here for this. Carrot and Goa, all of them. I love yeah. the watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good. Isn't Richard Dormer Northern Irish? Yes. Uh, sticking out. Fair play to you. Sticking out, we yeah. might. Very, very happy with that casting decision, so I am. <laughs> there's, some, there's some news this week that you're less happy with, though, isn't there, Chris? Is there? Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, on top of Chris. The table. What, what, what is it? I mean... What? Take his face... No! Off! No! Face off! I'm Captain Troy! <laughs> what a load of pollocks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this I is could the eat news. all day. <laughs> yeah. I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> Couldn't actually, it's really messy. Yeah. You choose everywhere. Wait a minute, he was talking about... Anyway. <laughs> Dinner or vagina? 
<laughs> Too soon. It's the eternal dilemma, isn't it? No, not when really. When you get home in the evening, dinner or vagina. Anyway. <laughs> sometimes I disgust myself. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this is the, uh, the news of Paramount. Because yeah. um, I don't think they have much else. Want to reboot? Got that. Anyway, let's, let's start it again, shall we? This is the news that Paramount... Uh, because they don't have much else. Damn it! <laughs> this is the news that Paramount are going to remake Face Off. <laughs> Which is only 22 years old. Yeah. Uh, the summer of 97, what a summer that was. Uh. Connor, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Glorious. The other ones, Event Fucking Horizon. <laughs> what a year. What a summer. Uh, and then, of course, Face Off as well, uh, which, if you don't know, is the, uh, the film in which Nick Cage and the one and only wickedly talented <laughs> John Travolta swap faces <laughs> and no one really notices because uh, you know, one of those things I love this movie I love this movie to death it's an amazing film John Woo is one of my favourite directors I love it to death but it at the no time sense. it makes no sense <laughs> but at the time they were going well you know we really studied each other's performance styles so that whenever I'm playing uh, whenever I'm playing I should do whenever I'm playing John Travolta you, you know you don't you're just both wildly overacting and hope that you hit the other person's characterization at some point I mean in fairness they occasionally do yeah at least once every 15 or 20 <laughs> yeah do you know what? I was just watching the episode of Community today where Abed goes mad trying to figure out if Nicolas Cage is good or bad <laughs> it's the best it's really good could I defend this though brief I know the usual response is fuck no yeah but and it is it's like the peak 97 action movie mm. it's quite high concept um batshit crazy slow-mo doves uh, <laughs> super camp i get it all but i think there could be something here right so think about if you've got a filmmaker who is a little bit john woo in terms of kind of insanity and energy so would it be mad to say chad's if I could say it, would it be mad to say Chad Stahelski? Apparently quite different. Would you say it in that way at all times? Chad Stahelski? Right, think about it. No, that's all right, a good all right. think, that's a good think about that's how technology's shout. moved on. Mm. That could be like crazy now. And also, I've been thinking of some combinations. Oh, God. Are you oh, ready? Good. Okay, yep. bring it. John Cena and The Rock. <laughs> I'm not kidding. John Cena and Marky Mark, and then you don't Ooh. have to even bother with the face <laughs> <laughs> Um Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Ooh. Right. Ooh. And then my last one, Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling. Oh. I already have trouble telling them Ring. apart, though. Wow. <laughs> Pen drop. <laughs> well, the so mic's I think there could be. I think there could be something here. Personally. No, All I right. think it's going to go really well because it's been written by Oren Uziel, who wrote Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> and 22 jumps. So, we know so it's it'll going be to fine. Look great. Okay. <laughs> um, speaking of 90s remakes, Margot Robbie's also in the news this week because she's apparently looking at remaking Tank Girl. Yes. And this is one that I also feel has a bit of potential, potentially, because... Um, stick with me. Um, 
Rachel Talalay, when she did it first time around, was kind of hamstrung by the studio. I think she had a much harder edged, much weirder film in mind. Mm. And it's still pretty freaking weird. Yeah. Um, and she was kind of uh, regularly just pulled back and sort of declawed a little bit. So if they go full batshit... Uh, or kangaroo shit, I guess, would be more appropriate. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, I think we might be really on something. It's kind of uh, a sort of a... If you imagine Mad Max, but Max is a girl who's dating a mutated kangaroo, <laughs> um, that's kind of where we're at. And, so and, and has bombs for... For... for she has... <laughs> Come on, you, you've... What's the, the word? What's the word? Use your, use your words, child. <laughs> Somebody help them. She has, she, has, she has explosive breasts. She has mis- missiles as breasts. Well, yeah, OK. Um, so anyway... <laughs> it could be interesting, right? And Margot Robbie has shown some pretty good taste so far in most things, and I feel like I'm willing to go on this journey with her towards a new tank girl. Not least because if it worked and it was super weird and mm-hmm. still people still went to see it, then I feel like that would open the door for Squirrel Girl, who I keep going on about. But really, like we need her. So mm. Tank Girl was really good. Tank Girl it was, was it, yeah. isn't, it is not Naomi Watts was in that, wasn't she? She was, yeah. It's yeah. a long time ago. Did you see the tweet from Alan Martin who said they hadn't been contacted by the production company at all, so whatever they're doing, they're kind of doing without them. And I think, and it also said, I think it was Variety said mm. that she was going to wait to see the script. If the script was good, yeah. she was actually going to star in it yeah. herself. But her production company, what is it, um, Lucky Chap? Yeah. And doing some super interesting stuff. Yeah, I think so. So I'm um, fingers crossed that the script is good enough and we know, we get some movement. I agree with everything you just said. No. <laughs> um, yeah, there's one other uh, news story that I wanted to talk about as well, which is, have you guys seen this? That uh, tomorrow night, there is a Jurassic World short film dropping mm. called Battle at Big Rock, which I thought was pretty damned interesting. That is pretty cool. Uh, but I don't want to hear you guys talk about it. Instead, I want no. to hear the guy who made it talk about it. Will you please welcome the director of Jurassic World and the upcoming Jurassic World 3, and indeed the director of Battle at Big Rock. Please welcome Cole Trevorrow! <laughs> I just want to thank all of you. Um, I brought my children tonight, so thank you for introducing them to so many new words. Uh, I'm so sorry. So many questions to answer. Dad, what's dinner? (laughs) Oh, God. So, yes, Colin, thank you for joining us. It's too late now, man. Fuck, it's too late. <laughs> Apologies for everything. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you were warned. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so this, uh, this short film, Battle of Big Rock, very, very exciting. What can you say about that? What's, what's, 
Wow. Uh, what happened? So uh, Universal came to us and, and asked if uh, I wanted to make a short film with their money. And I said, <laughs> yes, uh, definitely. The dream. Uh, wow. Yeah, and we can put dinosaurs in it, and yeah, we'll do it. And so, uh, you know, when I don't know if any, if any of you saw the last film, at the very end, uh, we really just change uh, what the franchise even is, mm -hmm. and then we set all these dinosaurs loose in the world. And so it, it let us uh, just think about what that uh, really means. Uh, and take a bit of a step uh, away from uh, our, you know, weaponized dinosaurs and hybrids and all these things that we've been doing in these in these movies, and and really uh, just go back to basics and and make a, a short film about a family in a campground uh, who, just like anyone who's been camping, sometimes you see a bear going through your garbage, and mm -hmm. we replace that with an Isutoceratops, and uh, <laughs> we we go from there. Uh, because I, I I've seen a lot of short films in my in my life. Almost every single one of them could stand to have a dinosaur in it, mm -hmm. I, I feel. Yeah. Not to besmirch short films, obviously, but this, this is the dream. Just stick a dinosaur in and you're good. Yeah, we have a list of films that I, I think would have would have been even more amazing. I've been like ashamed with yeah. films that I want to have yeah. a dinosaur in them. Downton Abbey, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. that's one of them. <laughs> Gorgeous. I found that amazing movie uh, with Robert Redford, uh, All is Lost. Oh. I remember watching an incredible movie and I was so ashamed that about two-thirds of the way through I was like, this, there could be a Mosasaurus in this movie. <laughs> and I, would, I would be okay with it. I would be all right. Robert Redford versus the Mosasaurus all along. <laughs> My money would be on the Mosasaurus. Yeah. If I don't know. Completely yeah. honest. Tough. You never yeah. know. He's very resourceful. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when, when did you shoot this? We shot it in Ireland uh, mm -hmm. in uh, January, late January of last year, okay. uh, and we managed to, to keep it a secret. The Irish yeah. can keep a secret uh, very well. <laughs> uh, and it stars Andre Holland, uh, who uh, many of you have probably seen in Castle Rock, if that's out mm -hmm. here, and it was yep. in Selma, an incredible actor. Natalie Martinez, who was yep. in End of Watch, and is an yep. amazing actress uh, and these two kids that no one's ever seen before uh, who uh, I love so much it was it, I mean it was like shooting an indie movie we had five days and we all had to get together with this pretty small Irish crew one set and uh, find a way to do something you know pretty uh, pretty challenging uh, in a short period of time with not the same resources that we're used to uh, and we, everyone was down at the buffet every morning which had, there was an excellent buffet at this <laughs> I'm just gonna point this out uh, at this hotel in Ireland that we were all in and this sweet little girl uh, who who's in the in the short had never been in anything before and we asked her you know she her her mom called and said well you know I know I get one I get we each get first class tickets to come out because you're guaranteed a first class ticket you know per guild rules and but we but she really wants her whole family there is there anything you can do and I was like well what I do with my family is usually we'll just we won't take the first class and we'll fly everybody and you can all fly business if, if you do that uh -huh. and so she said great and so this van pulls up and just one after another, like <laughs> ten people, like a baby and grandma, and everybody get out of the van, and they were they were the sweetest. It was amazing. Four people in a big coat <laughs> from winter in, in Philadelphia. <laughs> that's, that that's incredible. But I love that this is happening. Do you think this might spark a trend? Is this something that you would have loved to have done for the first Jurassic World? Or? Yeah, I, I don't. It's it is the result of. Uh, you know, I think it's because our, our, we don't make three movies a year in our franchise, and and we don't even make one movie a year, and uh, <laughs> we're we, you know we're a little more old school, and that we, every three years you, you know, we ask people to come out and, and see a dinosaur movie, uh, and so to be able to have something in the middle because the story that we're about to tell in the next film uh, is so different and so large in scope uh, that it was I, I just really wanted to to do something that was that was just very intimate and small. There there are dinosaurs in it you know, fighting, <laughs> but but it's a small 
intimate dinosaur fight. Uh, what can you say about where you are with the next Jurassic World? Uh, we are, you know, I, I live here uh, yeah. in England, and I've been here for three years, and we have our, our offices out at, at Pinewood Studios, and we've got everyone there you know, carving dinosaurs out of... Uh, of clay and, and I, I guess I can announce here that I've uh, if any of you saw the Dark Crystal uh, on Netflix mm-hmm. uh, John Nolan who did all the animatronics for the Dark oh. Crystal is going to do our animatronics for Jurassic oh, 3 and so he's bringing starting to actually build things where we're going to his workshop and, and seeing what he's able to do with eyes and joint movement and he's, he's really innovating in a really exciting way Fantastic. So awesome. big emphasis on animatronics again. There are, lar- yeah, large yeah. and small. And, and we actually have an animatronic in Battle at Big Rock uh, that was done by Legacy, by the guys who, you know, Stan Winston's group uh, before Stan died. Uh, they all uh, have carried on that tradition. So we had this massive uh, Allosaurus uh, in Ireland. And so everybody, it was <laughs> my, my wife actually took a, a video of it that I'm sure I'll, I'll tweet at some point because it was just, there was so much, so much fun and energy behind it. And that we finally, you know, we had this uh, you know this massive thing that was sticking its head in, in and out of this camper van uh, you know I guess there's spoilers now but people you know <laughs> doesn't go well uh, and uh, and just uh, this whole crew is actually watching this thing go down and you really feel like you're you're in Jurassic Park uh, when these things really get going and we we, you know, we play music and we play roars really loud so there's there's no element that isn't you know firing uh, on all cylinders and it's it was pretty exciting and everyone applauded and we we felt like we were there. That's, that's so cool. Of course, in, in Ireland, uh, Allosaurus is actually a, a guy. He's uh, <laughs> he's the mayor of the small town. Oh, Allosaurus, I know him well. Yeah, geez, lovely fella. Um, Again, with the hate crimes. <laughs> well, sorry, I'm Irish, for the love of God. Anyway, um, so Colin, you've been living here now uh, in uh, Britain now for three years. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but also, Apologize yeah. for nothing. It's beautiful. <laughs> what do you make of the what, what's this? What's the strangest thing about living in Britain? Uh, there's, you know, there's nothing strange. I, you know, my, my wife is from France and, and my kids were born in France. So, so I've always, uh, it was actually much cheaper to just go pay cash in France to have our babies born than to, to do it in America with health insurance. That's a true story. Uh, and uh, we have good, we have that Writers Guild health insurance. It's pretty good. Uh, and, and we still, uh, we, we've, we've always felt, you know, very connected to, to Europe and which I guess this won't be Europe anymore. How's that going to work? Yeah. Uh, Again, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, our our president recently uh, suggested to some some people that uh, you know if you don't like the way the country is being run, you should go back to where you came from. Uh, and my you know my ancestry is is essentially Welsh, uh, and so I I did. <laughs> so you went back to Wales. Have you been exploring? Uh, we do. Well, we actually, we, there's a, uh, Trevorrow is a Cornish mm-hmm. last name. So when you go to Cornwall, there's a lot of things start with Tre and Trev. And uh, apparently there's a Cornish pasty shop with my name on it uh, somewhere. And not that I should eat there, but it actually has my name on it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm very excited. And I, uh, someday that, that old rusty sign will be mine. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. We'll, we'll have a whip round. We'll, we'll try and raise enough money uh, to do that. Um, okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to have uh, a bit of an audience Q&A session for you guys. If you want to ask us anything, if you want to ask Colin anything, Colin's going to remain here as part of the team for the rest of the show. If you want to ask us as a team of five anything at all, then Bob is your uncle. Is that what they say? I don't know. Fuck it. Uh, what should we talk about? Earmuffs. Um, so let me see. Let's get the house lights up as best we can. Hello, everybody. Oh, you're such lovely people. Oh, that's my wife. Hello. Um, 
drinking game. Uh, so put your hands up if you want to have, if you want to ask us any questions. And we have roving microphones, I think, going around. With Disney remaking a lot of their classic animations, uh, when they finish running through their catalog, do you think they'll remake some classic Pixar things? Oh God! How dare you! <laughs> Cars, Cars 2. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, hmm. I, you know, uh, not yet. I'm, I'm trying to think in 30 years. But I, the thing about Pixar, which I think they're really good at, is doing stuff that is particularly suited to animation. So stuff that you cannot do particularly in live action. You can't, certainly can't do any better by, by doing it in live action than you do in in CG. So I, I don't really see the point. To, I mean, but then I didn't with The Lion King, as, as we've <laughs> repeatedly discussed. Um, so, I mean, my instinct would be to run a mile from that, but then, you know, again, as repeatedly discussed, that doesn't seem to be but the But it's all anymore. perfectly natural, isn't it? So we've, we've gone from, from animation, which is now becoming live action, and then eventually you'll go from the, the opposite way. So when they will have live action versions of Toy Story, and it'll go back to stop motion stuff, and it's all part of the big circle of life, Helen. And I, would watch, I would watch a, to- uh, a stop motion Toy Story. That would be quite fun. That'd be good. But, but there, is, there are some things that work better in animation, and they maybe should just be the, done in animation, and we should call it animation and not call it live action, even. That Pixar, was in my Pixar instance. are committed to the medium and they are committed yeah. Yeah. to animation. I think they see the challenge. Um, we saw this with the latest Toy Story of constantly evolving that with each film, and I think they'll probably stay committed to doing that, and I think they do do mm. extraordinary work. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, that Pixar are, have a purity, and Disney would never do anything cynical and <laughs> cash-grabbing, so I think we're absolutely fine. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine a live-action Coco. For some reason, that's the one that's tripping me. It's like, <laughs> all those skeletons, and then it's a kid's film? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Clash the Titans and whatnot. Uh, yeah, chasing right. the Argonauts. Yeah, know. but those weren't terribly realistic skeletons. I don't know how they scared the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> Colin, we've, you, you mentioned uh, The Dark Crystal there, and Louis Leterrier, that's a really interesting choice for him as a director. Mm. Even though if you talk to him, that mm. seemed to be his first love. Puppeteering was his first love. But to go from live action into something like that is really interesting. You've got Wes Anderson making stop motion movies. You've got someone like Andrew Stanton flip-flopping between the two. Would you ever venture into animation? Is that something that appeals? Uh, absolutely. I actually went to visit Louis when he was was doing The Dark oh, cool. Crystal. It's actually very close to where we live. And uh, the, the the meticulous nature of... of uh, you can see it you know, when you watch, but... Um, what that group was doing and, and his ability to uh, adapt to it, it's, it, is, it was extraordinary. And I think almost as I, as I started to watch the episodes, even, even how incredible it is, you can't even imagine uh, how, how intricate uh, those sets were uh, and what they managed to do. It's, it's unbelievable. So it it's actually just seems really hard, is my answer. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's the idea of Pixar says nothing comes for free in animation. You have to create mm. yeah. everything. There is no tree. There is no sky. You have to create yeah. everything. They do have an advantage in that you can make the movie over and over again. And, <laughs> and I think when you that's do true. live action, like, you know, you, you leave on the day and that's what you have. Uh, in animation, you leave on the day and you come back tomorrow and just do true. another day. Uh, and that probably takes some adjusting to on, on both mm. sides. Yeah. Yeah. Are the lines blurring, though? On something like a Jurassic movie, uh, uh, there's a lot of CG 
obviously. So only the animals, though. Yeah. Only the animals. That, that's something we really try hard to. We go to the places. We're always in real environments, and if something breaks, something really breaks. And so, uh, very, very rarely, uh, certainly, you know, in, in in these films, if if at all possible, mm-hmm. are you looking at anything but something absolutely real with one thing okay. uh, that is digital. So you don't have a lot of all green screen days, and mm-hmm. we don't do a lot of green screen on these okay. movies. That's no. interesting. So just yeah. because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Doesn't mean you should. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> just, just checking. <laughs> uh, any other questions for? Yes, there's a lady here in the third row. Just keep your hand up, and we can get the microphone to you. Or stand up. It's all good. <laughs> um, so next Friday is the global climate strike, um, uh, where millions of people are walking out in support of the young people striking for the climate. Mm-hmm. And I thought, in honour of that, and our climate being increasingly fucked. Um, I thought I'd ask you, what's your favourite disaster movie? And <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Wow. That took a sharp turn, didn't it? <laughs> I love disaster movies. Yeah. Oh, the, that's a tough question. Independence Day, I think. Do you call it a disaster movie? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess they blow up the world. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of a disaster. It's quite a lot of disaster. Okay. I mean, well, well I just instantly went to Roland Emmerich, and that's instantly the best of his films. So. On the other know. hand, The Day After Tomorrow uh, mentions Is... my hometown. So, bad I bridge. don't care, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and then it gets iced over and everyone dies. Win-win. Um, <laughs> sorry, my sister, I'm sure my sister got out. <laughs> Uh, so, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm an old-school kind of 70s disaster movie kind of person, so I'm going to maybe say The Poseidon Adventure. Mm, good choice. Uh, because it's just tremendous. It's got Gene Hackman and his most Gene Hackman-y. Um, it had, oh, God, I'm spoiling everything left, right, and center here tonight, but it had, it's one of those movies where you just, you, something happens in the movie, and you go, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm going to try and talk around it in code. Something happens in the movie, and as a kid, you're watching this movie for the first time, and you go, oh my God, they just killed Gene Hackman. I <laughs> <laughs> knew it was coming. <laughs> Should work on my code a bit more. Uh, but, you know, there was a lot of 70s disaster movies that did that, where people died and you didn't expect them to die. The, you know, the, the Swarm, for God's sake. Swarm's a terrible film. But uh, Henry Fonda injects himself with bee stings and then dies. He's meant to be a scientist, you idiot. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, probably the Poseidon Adventure because mm. it's uh, mm. mostly done practically and, uh, and Hackman rocks until he yeah. dies. Very good. I love Poseidon Adventure. Terry Inferno, I really love. Oh, um, no. Although, my favourite is actually kind of Titanic. I'm really sorry. (laughs) I love Titanic. Uh, I do. It's fantastic. And frankly, I will brook no argument on the matter. It's Um, Passengers on the Sea, I believe. Yes, yes. (laughs) A wise man once said that, Chris. Yeah. That's what I heard. Terry. Deep Impact. Uh, Not not the porn film. The disaster (laughs) movie. The scene where Tilly and, you know, Dad gets... Mm. Washed away. That whole thing speaks to my daddy issues in ways that I can't even articulate. So you were on the deep impact side of the deep impact Armageddon. <laughs> oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they've both got daddy issues running right through them, which means they both have a certain appeal. But deep impact. And yeah. also Titanic's a bit shit. Oh, is- oh, 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 you have no No. I was just going to say, I thought we were finally past the point where anyone should have to apologize for loving Titanic. <laughs> Here you go. Here we are. Don't apologize. 
Colin um, disaster movies. Oh, for I, I, I'll have to. I mean, shout out to to Jay Bayona for for the impossible. That's, oh, that's oh yeah, 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 sure. I'm, I'm a little biased, but <laughs> but that I mean the practical work in that is insane. I don't incredible. know if you've ever seen what he did on that, but uh, just uh, all the miniatures and, yeah. and a real tidal wave. I mean, it's, it was incredible. It's fantastic, and but uh, I love that scene where Ewan breaks down. He has to mm-hmm. call the re- his, the relatives of I think Naomi Watts' character, and it's mm-hmm. this lovely, really heartbreaking human moment in the middle of all this large scale chaos. I think it's actually a movie that who, who's seen The Impossible. Such a great movie. Yeah. Go and see it again. Go and see it again right now. <laughs> leave. No. Um, Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. There's a hand right at the back. Keep your hand. Raise it high. Wave at. Show me your index finger. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, Chris. Whatever flies about. I'm. I was a bit disappointed that we only got to hear Terry's picks for Face Off, and I was just wondering who you'd all cast. Oh. Um, my personal one is I think they should do it with Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. <laughs> I could eat a peach for hours. I want to take his face off. <laughs> I think we're done. I think we're done. That's amazing. I think you've nailed it. So therefore, that was a question and a comment, and that's bad. We don't like those. Uh, let's go over here to this side. Raise hands. Yes, stripey jumper lady. Okay, we're just getting you the mic. It's coming. We're getting the mic. We're getting the mic. Yes. Ron Forrest. Hand, hand, hand the mic. Hand the hands mic. Hand the America. mic. Let's hand the mic and sing a song as we're handing the mic. This is the song that I sing when we're handing the mic. Hello. Hi. Hi. It's just a question for Colin. Maybe I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about working with Spielberg and how he kind of passed the mantle on to you and just to know kind of how he, how that relationship works. Obviously, I, he's there in the background as an executive producer, but yeah, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he is a very uh, generous creative person and he's someone who uh, could ha- has all of the uh, power and control you could imagine over this franchise and yet has, has uh, in my case and then in Jay Bayona's case uh, really allowed us to uh, to put our own stamp on it and we we're fans you know he, he made this thing and and we're coming at it from a place of, of having grown up on it and uh i there really is a there is a big divide as i as i've discovered even uh, between you know those who create something uh and are even present at the time that it's created and, and those who are fans of it and for him to to truly understand what it means to us uh and and have that level of of creative empathy uh, to know uh, why we even feel it's we need to tell these stories uh, even further and uh, he, without being arrogant in any way uh, he is he's aware that some of these stories that they told uh, in the 80s are myths for us uh, that you know these are as important to us uh, you know as Alice in Wonderland or Peter Pan or all, you know, all the way back to you know to Ulysses I mean these are really really uh, deeply important things and and he recognizes it and therefore really uh, gives us you know the freedom to, to tell the stories in our way that's awesome what's the craziest thing you've pitched to him oh it was in one of the movies oh yeah what, what uh, was it 
well, I remember pitching to him like, okay, here's, here's what happens. Um, and so you find out that they actually used the technology to, to make the little girl again. Oh, uh, yeah. And he's like, that's crazy. He actually said it to my face. I'm like, is that, are we cool? Like, is that okay? Where, where does that leave us? And he's like, no, it's, you know, if you, if you support it, uh, then, then we're cool. And, you know, that, that, that was a middle movie. Uh, and so we are definitely uh, supporting that idea. But I, he was very, you know, if, if he can hear why, you know, there's a real emotional value uh, in something. Uh, and it's not just a cheap trick. And, and I, we really did have to explain, you know, well, this is what, you know, this is the, the end game for this. I guess we can't use that anymore, but uh, <laughs> is, uh, and if you understand why, you know, why, why it really, uh, you know, means something on, on a, hopefully a deeper level, uh, than, than just straight entertainment, then, uh, he'll let you do something crazy. Uh, any other questions? Helen, you choose. Um, well, there's the nice black and white shirt over there and it's near the striker top lady. Um, seeing as Collins here, wanted to ask if uh, there's any possibility we'll ever see a sort of dinosaur resurgence outside just the Jurassic franchise, if it'll ever get a kind of uh, big vogue again. Uh, in, in real life or, or in the movies? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, we do talk about that sometimes as to why there aren't a whole bunch of different kind of dinosaur yeah. movies like superhero movies. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know the answer. Uh, I know that there is obviously, you know, a deep fascination that everyone who is born, uh, it seems at a certain point, you know, points to a dinosaur and says, I, I, I must know more about that. Mm. Uh, and I think the, you know, this, that idea that, Crichton had uh, is is so uh, indelible and mm. and so perfect in so many ways that I think that no one's you know unless there's certain things I'm forgetting I know we've had animated movies like there just hasn't really been able to be an approach that doesn't involve time travel yeah. uh, you know which has its own you know set of things that can trip you up that that managed to to allow us to to you know be close to dinosaurs and he just he just nailed it I, th I think that's I think that's exactly it isn't it there's no other Certainly, there's no other concept out there sitting, waiting with a brand name on it, which I know studios like before they spend $150 million on dinosaurs. Um, and, and I'm not sure where... You, I don't know where you start from, Valley of Guanji. I mean, there's no big dinosaur named properties going back a long way, apart from Jurassic Park, for, for exactly that we reason. We got them in King Kong, and Peter Jackson's King, King Kong. King Kong, that's that was true, that's dope. true. Yeah, and those were great. <laughs> that, that dinosaur fight with King Kong is incredible. And all those gotcha. old um, Doug McClure movies. You know, remake those as well. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Uh, anyway, let's have another question. James, you choose this one. Uh, as I believe the gentleman's intention was when he wore it, I will pick the guy in the Bar Live for America t-shirt over there. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Since you seem... No, sorry, I changed, I changed the question in my head. And thank you for the gesture. Um, with the swath of new streaming platforms coming on, a lot of talk of what they're going to do for TV, what should you going to do for film? Oh, bloody hell. Um, I, I think... 
It's a tricky one, isn't it? Mm. Um, there's so much great TV now, and every new platform that comes on just means there's more shit that we have to watch for the Pilot TV podcast every week. And it's exhausting, but there have been great films. Like, I know Bird Box had kind of mixed reviews when Netflix dropped that. I absolutely love Bird Box. And, you know, really? The Irishman has come it. to Netflix as well. <laughs> Thank you, Helen. Five-star masterpiece that is Bird Box. Um, do you know what I mean? There's, so there's great stuff coming to these things as well, and I think the benefit for someone like Netflix is they are prepared to fund things I think that maybe you wouldn't necessarily find theatrically. Like, they're prepared to take risks. They're prepared to do weird things. I'm not to say you don't get risks in cinemas, but Netflix will take a punt on something crazy and they'll just sort of throw it out there and see what happens. And that is something we don't get enough of. Mm. So I think actually it means great things for perhaps sort of mid-budget movies, not sort of two, three hundred million dollar movies, but those kind of mid-budget movies that don't necessarily make it into theatres anymore. And I think those things will really find a home on these streaming platforms. I think films um, on those platforms is still it's still quite problematic in many respects. I think one amazing thing that this surge of amazing telly has done is it's also really put a focus on what cinematic properties are meant to be. What is it meant to be to go to the pictures? Mm. What do you want to see? Like, we're seeing such incredible filmmaking that is meant for the big screen, and it's made me really value going to the pictures and what I see and that experience. And I think nothing will ever, ever, ever change that feeling you get when you go in the pictures and the lights go down that two seconds before the film starts where my skin comes out in goosebumps every single time I still go to the pictures, that experience to me has become more and more special. The role of films on those platforms, fucking hell, right? Because you do have, I think James is right, these mid-budget movies that studios maybe aren't so keen to make anymore. We've got this kind of polarised thing where it's indies and big franchise blockbusters, you know, things that people recognise that they feel safe investing in. So, but then what happens to them when they end up on Netflix? Are they being promoted properly? Where do people want to see them? How do you get them out to people who love films and say, this is worth watching? I think doing things like The Irishman is super interesting, but the specifics of that kind of theatrical release element to it, which obviously Scorsese was really keen on. What does that look like? How many cinemas does it end up in? How important is that? We saw yeah. it with Roma. So I think there's still loads to be worked out. Yeah. I honestly think, like people have said for ages, oh, the rise of telly is going to be damaging to film. I think it's just made us realise why films are fucking amazing and it's made us realise why <laughs> going to the pictures is so amazing. Mm. I don't see them as cannibalising each other. Actually, it's all amazing stuff we get to watch and I, for one, love being able to watch stuff here, but nothing will ever replace going to the pictures, yeah. ever. Like I, when I saw Jurassic Park, the first time I saw Jurassic Park... first Jurassic Park when I saw that cinema one of the most incredible experiences yeah, of my absolutely. life and I've watched it a million times on TV and it's fantastic every time but nothing will ever meet you know watching the brachiosaurs come out just in on that huge screen I was there do you know what I mean I felt exactly like Sam Neill did and it's just mm -hmm. yeah it's incredible yeah, Colin as a filmmaker how has, how has it changed the game uh, it's changed it tremendously. I, I, you know, I think there's there's the way any individual filmmaker feels about it. Uh, I'm some, I might be, you know, as far as my age compared to the others who do it, one of the last people who uh, shoots on films and just shoots on film, mm -hmm. uh, literally, and 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 wants to uh, have 
films and theaters as, as a priority of mine. Uh, I recognize uh, I don't want to be, you know, old man yelling at cloud. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I recognize that, uh, you know, uh, the, generationally there's a change in, in how uh, younger people are, are uh, receiving uh, their media and their content, uh, both movies and everything else. And, and I think there may be uh, a bit of a sense that you know the value of a single piece of content uh, has been been changed because you know the to a, to a young person the value of something on you know a video on YouTube uh, could be equal to them as something that costs a studio a hundred million dollars to make uh, and I think that's part of what's going on but in the end look I mean we can't deny that that streaming platforms have given opportunity to a tremendous new number of voices uh, and filmmakers who may not have had the opportunity to have uh, their films made and that's really important. I hope that you know those those filmmakers will also get the opportunity to make movies that go in theaters as well, and that there's not some kind of ceiling yeah. that, that starts to get hit. That's that's my only worry really about mm -hmm. this. If you if you launch your first film at Sundance and it does brilliantly, and Amazon buys it for a fortune, that's great. But then, you know, what do you have to show that people watched it, that people liked it? What do you have to sell yourself on for the next film out? Because you haven't got a lot of proof, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I care very much about my, my little plastic copies of the movies that I've made. I have them on a little shelf, and they mean a lot to me. Uh, I also recognize that if Safety Not Guaranteed had, had been at Sundance this year, it probably wouldn't have gotten a theatrical release. It was a $750,000 movie, and so the, to, to make the commitment to market that film, which would be millions, the amount of money it would have to make, uh, it, it probably wouldn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. So I'm, I'm very grateful that, that I happen to be born at a particular moment that let me be one of the last indie filmmakers to get their their film released in theaters uh, it's a it's a very rare occasion now when that happens yeah. uh, we got time now for just we're running out of time we've got time for about 275 more questions no. um, uh, Terry your turn to choose oh a gentleman in the middle yes keep your hand up here comes the mic. The mic is now yours. Okay. Hi, guys. Um, this is a question about the MCU, Chris. So it might not be your area of expertise. <laughs> Stupid films for children. <laughs> I was just wondering, um, given that Phase 4 starts next year and then possibly 5 and 6, um, do you think they'll head towards another big bad like they did with Thanos, or do you think we're in for standalone villains for the foreseeable future? Ooh. Um, hmm. Good question. Yeah, I think... I think It'll take a little while to ramp up to any similar infinity event. Mm -hmm. I think I think the films we're going to see in the nearish future are going to be a little bit more mm. uh, interwoven, but but self-contained in terms of their bads. I suspect <laughs> small. Does bads. that make sense? Yeah, you kind of have to, though, don't you? Because yeah. it's. I mean, in terms of threat level, and no, this is not another defence of Thanos speech. Better not. <laughs> threat level. Midnight. Although, um, no, but seriously, look, when you've gone to wiping out half the life in the universe, like it's all a bit existential. I don't know how you escalate beyond that. I really don't. Um, so I think uh, it makes sense for them to kind of de-escalate and to go more personal, go slightly more scale. I mean, it's absolutely. I would say for sure that it will work towards more of a kind of a crossover event. Yeah. But I think probably a lower level crossover event. I'm, and maybe yeah. involving something from the from the mutant side of things, which sort of mixes things up a little I'm, bit. I'm not sure. It'll, well, yeah, may, maybe it's not exciting. quite as cosmic in terms of half the mm. universe, but I'm not sure you, you keep doing that. But I, do, I don't think it's an accident that Black Widow is up 
next. I think it, that's a deliberate mm. bringing it down was. to a no, <laughs> human scale. They just accidentally well, scheduled a movie. And but, here's what um, came out of the hat. Out of May, I guess. Uh, this is the first one we finished, so who knows. Uh, I don't know. I, I just think, yeah, absolutely what these guys said. You can't possibly go bigger than Thanos. Uh, my favourite, probably my favourite, you know, from a visual standpoint, is Galactus. Uh, but you can't really do Galactus again because he's just eating a planet compared to what Thanos did and also he's maybe a bit harder to get into in terms of the psychology of that character uh, visually it'd be amazing to see Galactus in the MCU uh, I think they'll go smaller perhaps some have some sort of municipal meetings who knows uh, maybe incorporate Brexit into it somehow oh, who knows <laughs> Captain Britain played by Nigel Farage oh, Chris please I know. Uh, I know whatever they do, they already have a plan. Yeah. That, that we know. Yeah. That will outlive us all. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Feige, man. I mean, that is, that is just one of the most impressive feats yeah. of, of, uh, of narrative construction uh, in film history what he's just done uh, and everyone obviously all the filmmakers involved as well but uh, building a story uh, that has stretched over what 20, 20 movies 21 movies 23 23, 23 movies God. Not that we're counting. no we're not counting yeah incredible uh, yeah I don't know I don't know if they can be matched yeah it's incredible uh, I have to ask did you ever have a meeting with him have you met on projects I did I did I met on Guardians of the Galaxy really long long ago uh, yeah very early and um yeah, it was a great conversation. I, you know, I, I, I was not like a comic book kid. I, that wasn't my thing. I was, I was a Star Wars kid. I was an Indiana Jones kid, Spielberg kid. Like that was my, that was my thing. And so it was a little bit more. It was a great conversation, but it was a little bit more of an, an, a personal understanding that you know you need someone who 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 loved this growing mm-hmm. up should be the ones directing yeah. these movies. Like you got to live and breathe it uh, in the way that I did. You know, Jurassic and and these films that I, I get to be involved in now. But consider this crossover. Jurassic Thanos Go on Josh Brolin as Thanos Riding a T-Rex And I don't have anything else beyond that But It's a solid base It's a solid base I expect to be in production Next March We we might live to see things like that. I mean, real. I mean, I think there are things that we're seeing now that we never would have imagined 15, 20 years ago we would ever see. We may live to see such things. Amazing. Aquaman uh, versus Mosasaurus. Totally. <laughs> Possible. Colin, I'm going to give you the honor of choosing the last question asker. All right. Are there any other questions? Hands up. Oh, there's someone way in the back. Way in the back. Oh, look at that. Beautiful. And, uh, um, looking at the top 10 grossing movies so far in this year, I believe seven or eight of them are um, Disney, from, from Disney or um, uh, re- associated with Disney. Mm-hmm. And then you look at smaller movies like Booksmart, which I really liked, mm-hmm. which didn't do really well mm-hmm. at the box office. Um, how concerned are you about this trend? I mean, uh, well, look, I think, <laughs> right, it's it's... It's it's weird that mm. one studio is currently so big and that has been the result of many years of careful strategizing and carefully buying up certain properties. Um, and I think what they've what they've done is they've focused on the properties that people keep going back to. They've focused on telling good stories when they have those properties. So like they haven't just thrown money at problems. They have thrown storytellers, I think, generally at things like Star Wars and Marvel, obviously, and, and Pixar, of course. It's baked in there. 
And that, that model is all paying off incredibly well. So the question is now, how does everybody else react? And I think everybody else has been a bit shell-shocked in Hollywood a little bit over the past few years. But I hope and believe that the other studios are going to kind of raise their game a little bit to match or find it a different niche. If Disney's going to rule the billion-dollar roost, then other people are going to have to find something else that people will come and see. Um, and I do, I do think such things exist, and I'm just... I think they're still trying to figure them out. And there are other films in the top 10 that show that people have figured them out. Booksmart, how that film didn't make a billion, I don't know because I freaking love it. Um, but that kind of thing, I mean, there's always been those films that we all love when we see them, but it's hard to maybe get people to the cinema. Like, you know, Hustlers actually had a good first weekend in the US, but I don't know how well it's going to do here because everybody's going to see bloody Downton, I feel like. <laughs> It's true. And I don't know that it's going to get its due. So, you know, there's all... It's a really, really complicated thing, and I don't know what the answer is, but I do feel like people are working very, very hard to figure it out and find a new model that works. And, and that's part of the whole streaming services thing as well, because that might be the answer for some films. But, but I hope that, you know, people are going to challenge Disney a bit harder than they are now. Much as I love Disney, love Disney. Yay, Disney. <laughs> please, please don't kill me. I think there is something around uh, box office expectation as well. Some of the book smart reaction was actually nuts because people reacted opening weekend and there's also this insane emphasis around all on opening weekend. Mm. Where actually when you dug under the book smart numbers, it wasn't bad, but there was this initial kind of massive expectation on that film which should never have been placed on it. Mm. It was deemed a failure within two days. Mm. It was kind of nuts, the reaction to that. Uh, but I think you've still got super interesting films. As I said, I think there's this binary thing happening. So A24 are doing some incredible yeah. stuff and some amazing films are being made and people are coming through, you're getting first-time female directors. It feels like there are embryonic stages of some really exciting stuff happening around underrepresented filmmakers, certain stories being told yeah. for the first time. But, you know, you also look at that top ten. How many are reboots? How many are existing franchises? I think original cinema is something that everybody's really concerned about. Edgar Wright talks about it a lot, about the need for original stories, the need for original writing, um, for studios to support those ideas and fund those ideas. And I think that's kind of more of a concern for me, is breaking through those original films you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, wherever you stand on that film, that was so exciting because it was an original, exciting story we saw this summer in a summer where actually it felt like it was a lot of stuff we'd mm. either seen before or were kind of experiencing for the fourth or fifth time. And I think original storytelling is actually probably the bigger challenge outside of a straight box office kind of analysis. I, I, I always kind of rejected the idea that Booksmart was not a success. Yeah. So I, I didn't understand that narrative. I feel like it made like three times its budget. And, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get it, and yet I don't. I, I love that movie, and, and I know that it'll be seen by many uh, long in the future. Um, uh, look, I, 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 all I can say about Disney's success is, is uh, they've made Jurassic World feel like an underdog, <laughs> which is it's a lot to be said. <laughs> 
Um, I, I, the thing that I hope uh, is that I feel like, you know, filmmakers like like Tarantino uh, will be able to make those kinds of films. I think the thing that is is really in danger of going away is is, uh, you know, making, you know, new myths, you know, new, new, you know, large scale, the kind of stuff we go to the movies uh, to see, especially kids go to see. Uh, and and that's going to be, you know, it's going to be filmmakers willing to take the risk to put themselves on the line to make one of those kinds of movies that uh, if you, you know, if you get a studio to invest the amount of money it takes uh, to make a new myth and you fail, that could be it for you. Uh, And so we're, uh, there's, there's a lot of fear, uh, you know, related to it. And yet uh, hopefully uh, both studios will be, and filmmakers will be, will be brave enough to, to risk it all uh, to tell a, a big new story. Indeed. If I do it, please go. <laughs> please. Uh, and Colin, I'm going to wrap up by uh, asking, you are responsible, I think, for the most indelible, memorable movie character for the last 20 years. I'm speaking, of course, about Nick Desemnian's Edmund, Edmund. Edmund. in Jurassic World. I had no idea that was going to yeah, become... Just about to see him, if you pause it just right. Um, is Jurassic World 3 going to be exclusively about Edmund? Will he be back? Will he be back? Yeah. We, we do need to catch up with him. I want to know. I mean, he was, he was unlucky in love, as I remember. <laughs> and, <laughs> the story, right? Because I remember the story yeah. was that yeah, he yeah. was, yeah, was going to meet a girl uh, yeah. out in front of, uh, of the restaurant, and she never showed up. No. And we want to know if they ever, uh, you know, now, six years later, <laughs> if somehow they'll meet again uh, as dinosaurs begin oh. to take over the world. Genuinely, please do that. Like, just have oh, have the movie focus on my my good friend Nick, who cannot act. And in the background, <laughs> you see Chris Pratt and Darren Bryce Dallas Howard running around with some dinosaurs. And it's just Nick going, "Where where is she? What's happening? No. What's, that would be amazing." Please, that's a promise. See, uh, you, you saw him nod. That is a promise. As your lawyer, Chris, no. I'm pretty sure that's legally binding. Um, And on that bombshell, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be properly on tour. Yes. The Empire Podcast mini tour will be venturing outside London to Edinburgh. And we're going to have so much fun up there. Oh, Jings Crivens is going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, Still a couple of tickets available for that. If you fancy coming along, go to the Picture House website, search for Empire Podcast, and that should see you right. Uh, I just want to say thanks again to the wonderful staff here at King's Place who make this show possible. And indeed... Indeed, the London Podcast Festival possible. This is our third year doing it. We absolutely love it, and um, we're overrunning, so they probably won't ask us back for a fourth, but we would love to come back for a fourth. Uh, I want to say thank you to all the companies that donated spot prizes, including Eureka and Last Exit to Nowhere. And, of course, I want to say thank you and goodbye to Helen O'Hara. Thank you. I want to say thank you and goodbye to James Dyer. Thank you. I want to say thank you and goodbye to Terry White. I want to say thank you and goodbye. This is a terrible catchphrase, isn't it? I want to say thank you and goodbye to our incredible guest and newly minted team member, Colin Trevorrow. Of course, I want to say thanks to you guys for coming out and making this possible. I say this every time we do a live show, but I mean it from the heart. We could not do it without you, except maybe that one guy there. (laughs)
Honestly. Anyway, that is it for me. It is goodbye for me. I am off to have dinner. No. Or... No, just dinner. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.